Hi, this is Brent White. It's Wednesday, May 16th, and you're listening to devotional podcast number 25. You're also listening right now to the band Striper, the world's first Christian heavy metal band, as far as I know. (laughs) They have a brand new album out, and this is a song from it. It's called The Devil Doesn't Live Here, which I recorded, as always, directly from vinyl. The singer says that he's sold out with no fear, only for Jesus. I want to be sold out with no fear, only for Jesus, too. And that's what I want to talk about. To do that, let's look at the first verse of the book of Jonah. Now, in the NIV and most other contemporary English translations, it reads, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. That's okay, I guess. But the translations that are descended from the King James, such as the ESV and the NRSV, they're somewhat more faithful to the Hebrew with this verse, because there's a little word at the beginning of this sentence, and, and the word of the Lord, or now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. At least one commentator I read, Philip Carey, in his profoundly good commentary on Jonah, which is published by Brazos Press, uh, he sees great significance in this little word, and. And who am I to disagree? And the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. About this little word, and, Carrie writes, Finally, before we proceed, let us go back for a moment to the first word, that unobtrusive little particle, and often translated now or but, whose force depends so much on drawing no attention to itself. It is over before we notice it, so that we can get on with thinking about weightier words, such as the word of the Lord. But now is the time to look back at the service it has performed. It got us into the story before we knew it, getting us thinking about the events to come as if they belong to some larger series of events already underway, as if somehow we had just turned the page to begin a new chapter in a much larger book. And of course, that is exactly what has happened. Not only does the book of Jonah belong to the much larger book called the Bible, the book of books, but the story of Jonah is a chapter in the much larger story of the dealings of the Lord God with Israel and the nations. So we begin by getting into the middle of things, for this is how we always begin. Even our birth is always in the middle of an ongoing family history. Only the word of the Lord can begin at the very beginning. We follow, Carrie writes. We follow, or we don't follow, or we don't want to follow. The choice is ours. Jonah's problem was not that he failed to recognize that the events of his life, as Carrie says, belong to some larger series of events already underway. His problem was that he knew this full well. He knew that God, the author of the story of which Jonah was one minor character, this God desired to use Jonah's prophetic witness to preach to the hated citizens of the capital city of Israel's enemy, Assyria. And Jonah wanted no part of it. He didn't want to follow this plot line 
to God's foreordained conclusion. At least not at first. Instead, Jonah ran away in the opposite direction of Nineveh. In fact, he went as far in the opposite direction from where God wanted him to go as he possibly could, which for him meant sailing to a place called Tarshish, clear across the Mediterranean Sea, the other side of the world as far as he knew, to Europe. Barbarians live in Europe. But that's fine. Going to the other side of the world to live with barbarians is far better than going to hideous Nineveh and preaching to those awful Ninevites. Now, before we go any further, before we tisk 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 at Jonah's unwillingness to follow God's will and go where God wanted him to go and do what God wanted him to do, because after all, we never do that, do we? We're not like Jonah, right? No, before we turn up our noses at Jonah, before we let ourselves feel superior to him, let's acknowledge that Jonah has far more faith than we usually have. Now, why do I say that? Because he believed in God so much, he was willing to risk his life on two separate occasions for the sake of his deep faith in God. One of those two occasions is well known and often discussed at the end of chapter one when Jonah realizes that God has kicked up this tempest on the sea because Jonah was disobeying God. Jonah insists that the ship's crew throw him overboard. Why? Because his God, Yahweh, is the God who made the sea and the dry land. His God is the one who sent this storm their way to punish Jonah. So, to save the lives of everyone else on board the ship, a ship full of pagan Gentiles, remember, Jonah offers to lay down his own life. Reluctantly, the ship's captain and crew agree to do that, and when they do throw Jonah overboard, the Bible says, the sea ceased from raging. And then, verse 16 says these remarkable words. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. The captain and the crew worshipped the one true God because of Jonah's witness. They placed their faith in the one true God. And when it says that they made vows, that means that they pledged their lives to this God. Through Jonah's sacrificial death, or near death, because God wasn't finished with him yet, through Jonah's sacrificial death, which literally turned away God's wrath, he made possible the salvation of these formerly unbelieving Gentiles. Do you hear the gospel in this story? This is just one of a multitude of examples of the way in which the Old Testament points to Jesus and the gospel. Once we learn to read the Old Testament in a properly Christocentric manner, with Christ at the center, we can find Jesus on nearly every page. That's right, Andy Stanley, we can find Jesus on nearly every page of the Old Testament. So of course, of course, we should read it and treasure it. And of course, it still applies to our lives. But here's another way in which Jonah risked his life on account of his faith. 
He believed so strongly, as he says in Jonah 4.2, that God was a gracious God and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. He believed in that so strongly that he was willing to run away from God and possibly incur God's wrath rather than preaching to the Ninevites that they might repent and be saved. Think about it. Of course, it's foolhardy to try to run away from a God who is everywhere and who created everything, but he only did so because he believed so strongly in God's love, grace, and mercy. He believed so strongly that God would show mercy, which he did, and Jonah himself didn't want God to show mercy. He wanted God to destroy Nineveh, so he ran away instead. But please notice that even his running away took great faith in the kind of God that God was because it meant he didn't doubt for a moment who God was or what God's character was like. So let's admire Jonah as a man of great faith before we speak negatively about him. And now, I do want to speak negatively about him, but when I speak negatively about him, I'm also speaking negatively about myself, because I see myself in Jonah. This book of the Bible that bears Jonah's name isn't the only place in the Bible we learn about Jonah. When we turn to 2 Kings 14.25, we see that Jonah is a successful prophet who spoke for God to King Jeroboam II. Being a prophet to a king was likely what Jonah was doing prior to God's calling him to go to Nineveh. God's call disrupted his life. That little word and or now at the beginning of verse 1, chapter 1, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, disrupted or interrupted the course of Jonah's life. God disrupted Jonah's plans in a major way. It's as if God were saying, Jonah, I know you like your life right now. I know that you could be happy doing exactly what you're doing right now for the rest of your life. I know, as far as you're concerned, this is what you've planned on doing. This is what you've dreamed of doing. This is the kind of job that you're proud to tell your friends and family about. I'm a prophet to a king, but I've got something else for you to do, Jonah. And Jonah was supposed to be okay with this disruption to his plans because, after all, God was in charge of Jonah's life, not Jonah. So when that little word and or now came along and disrupted Jonah's plans, Jonah should have recognized, as Philip Carey suggested, that the events of Jonah's life belonged to some larger series of events already underway, that Jonah's life was one chapter in a much larger story of which God was the author, not Jonah. So if God decided that Jonah should do something else with his life, Jonah should have said, not my will, but thine be done, and trusted that God would make it all work out okay. I think of the Apostle Paul, for instance, in his letter to the Philippians. Paul's life and ministry had been disrupted in a major way. In fact, it must have looked from an outsider's perspective that Paul's life was ruined. It was finished. It was over. And maybe some of the people at the church in Philippi thought so. Because in Philippians 1.12, Paul writes to reassure them. 
I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. And then Paul lists a couple of really positive developments that have happened as a result of Paul's imprisonment. Paul says in so many words in verse 18, If the result of my being in prison is that people believe in Jesus, and Jesus receives more glory now than he would if I were a free man, who cares what happens to me? Who cares whether I'm in prison or I'm free? Who cares whether I live or die? What matters is Christ being glorified. Can you imagine being so sold out to Jesus that you literally only care about his glory rather than your own? Well, not just you, me. Can I imagine being so sold out to Jesus? Oh, Lord, please make me like that. Because in my own experience, I am often so committed to my own glory and to my own plans, which in my mind will lead to my glory, that any interruption or disruption to my plans sends me through the roof. I think it's the main reason I get angry in my life, because something happening in my life is threatening my glory. Something or someone is threatening to rob me of my glory and it angers me. But unlike poor Jonah, I probably go along with it most of the time. I I don't run off in the opposite direction, but trust me, I'm keeping score. I may go along with God's plan for my life, but I'll do so under protest. God is going to owe me for disrupting my plans. Do you see what I mean? Kill my ego, Lord. Stop it flat, please. My life is not about me and what I want. It's about you and what you want for me. Just please teach me to want what you want for me. Help me to be sold out for you, Jesus. I I, I want to be able to say with the psalmist, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name. Give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Let me modify that slightly. Not to me, O Lord, not to me, but to your name give glory. So long as you're being glorified through me, Lord, I'll be content. I'll be happy. I'll have reason to rejoice. Amen. Let me keep on praying this prayer until I mean the words I say. And thank you for being so merciful to me in the meantime, Lord. Jonah was exactly right about you. You are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Sold out to Jesus.